of Mike, Mike, and Oscar. We have another Oscar race checkpoint covering another major precursor along the way. I am your co-host, Mike One. This is co-host also, Mike. Yes, the 74th BAFTAs, Michael. They were a two-night event. This was perhaps the strangest BAFTAs in recent memory, I would say. (laughs) Uh, But it didn't rain on the Royal Albert Hall all night like it did at uh, MSG, for one, and also... Uh, where where you were watching your live event <laughs> yeah. of the evening. There was nothing more ominous and appropriate <laughs> than the first live massive event that WWE's had since COVID started and needing to clear the stadium as WrestleMania did for night one, which is also a two-night event. And also why I didn't watch the 74th BAFTAs, which were a two-night event. Who would have thought the BAFTAs would go head-to-head with WWE? I, I got to be the one of the only people in America that had that conflict to suffer through. But it wasn't a conflict because my heart belongs in pro wrestling, as I've made clear numerous times over this You've program. You've made this clear, yes. I understand <laughs> where your priorities lie. I did watch the BAFTAs. Uh, But we both followed along like with the real time live tweeting, which was cool. But uh, yeah, no, it was it was a strange it was a strange BAFTA ceremony. But I actually feel like they pulled off the strange a little better than some others. But we're yeah, we're going to get into it here. All right. So let's let's start and dive right in the 74th BAFTA. It's the final major precursor along the road. I want to say the road to WrestleMania because that's all I've been thinking about. But no, it's the road (laughs) to the Oscars here that we're in. Saturday night was more of a quick presentation on BBC Two. Sunday night was the worldwide presentation of the formal BAFTA show as we know it and are more familiar with a two hour show on BBC and BBC America. Uh, We did follow along. Mike, you watched the whole thing and you have some notes from the Sunday night presentation presentation some highlights and lowlights about how they handled uh doing an award show in covid well some inspired choices i would say and i did have i do have a list of positives here mike i mean if you're going to do a live award show you gotta put money into the set design and they had this really cool blue lighted i don't know clear facade that went up straight into the air at royal albert hall it was the backdrop of all these presentations and when you hovered over it or when you got the overhead shot from the rafters it said film in neon blue lights and i thought it was really cool it's like this glass aerial shot thing that they did quite throughout the uh program that just said film and i was i was all about that uh they had two hosts mike of these baftas derma o'leary and edith bowman they really were just competing with wrestlemania who also had two (laughs) hosts and maybe not light spelling out film but alleged horrible racist hulk hogan dressed as a pirate oh no (laughs) so similarities all around What I was going to say was we had two radio (laughs) DJs that are also TV hosts that seemed like the Ryan Seacrests from across the pond. Maybe, you know, not quite at Ryan Seacrests, you know, number of jobs. I mean, they didn't have an Adnan Verk number of jobs, these two. When I looked Mm -hmm. up the resumes, they have a couple Mm -hmm. shows. No, but they're very accomplished across the pond there. They did not try to be funny at all. And I actually pay them some respect for that because... We've seen all of these, 
I mean, we've seen comedy die at the precursor award shows, Mike. <laughs> Just die a terrible death and give us no hope that funny will ever happen again, especially when everybody's in, in a suit and tie and there's red carpet around. And Tay Diggs is delivering the one-liners, yeah. Yeah, no, everybody's dads wrote Tay Diggs jokes. It's I not don't, Tay I, Diggs' fault, but it, it was awful. I need to get in the Critics' Choice writing room. Like, so, somebody... Somebody's got to get in there. We need. We can't do this every year in a row. We can't live in this world where the Critics' Choice have those jokes and bits flying for what will be now, I think, the fourth year in a row after we covered it. It was a corny-ass two hours. And then the Screen Actors Guild is never funny. I mean, mm-hmm. it's never funny. I am an actor. Right. Never, never. It's never going to be funny. So Dame Helen Mirren had the funniest lines of the SAG Awards. And now we have a BAFTAs that I'm just like cringing. Uh Uh-oh, here they're going to try to be funny. I hope they don't make it. I mean, it's just, it's not going to work. And I'm glad they didn't go for it. And it was smart. Like, look, God bless Tina and Amy. They were sabotaged at the Golden Globes. Nothing was going to be funny on that night either. So this has been the unfunniest award season in the history (laughs) of award seasons. And that's okay at this stage because of the year we've all been through. And I give these hosts a lot of credit. They did their job. They made it work. Another inspired choice at these BAFTAs, Mike, was they did interviews to all of the EE Rising Star nominations. So that's Kingsley Benadir, Bookie Backray. That was cool. That was like a way to use the Zoom interview style, get anybody on the horn style. That was a way to use it in a, in a fun way. And they asked them some inspired questions. You know, what does it mean to play Malcolm X? What did it mean to work with Regina King right off the bat with Kingsley Benadire? So that was awesome. And not and, just Gillian Anderson. On like, hey, we, we, got, we got Mulder and Scully from the X-Files. Remember them? Yeah. Right. The critics yeah, choice a part. random interview yeah. with... <laughs> Jillian Anderson in Prague and it short circuits every two seconds. No, thank you, but no. Uh, The musical performances were also pretty solid. I thought you had this spacey performance to open up the show, Alesso's Midnight, which apparently is a song from a singer-songwriter artist. I'll take your Uh, word for it. I don't know any of these people uh, no, nowadays because I'm 2003. Yeah, we know this. Our mu- musical tastes are not the uh, we're not the most progressive there. It's not Blink 182, and it's not Bush. And so I'm that's all I not interested. <laughs> Michael, we had Celeste performing "Hear My Voice," and she's got a powerful, oh my god, a powerful delivery. I, I it was goosebump inducing. Mm. I was really excited about that whole thing. It was it was a little rocky at the ending. Like I didn't understand why they ended it the way it did, but still very good. But the moment of the night. The moment of the night was Leslie Odom Jr. and Kareen Bailey Ray. Duet of a change is going to come via Sam Cooke there. Mm. Sam Cooke. And Leslie Odom Jr. was like this hologram on the wall because he was recording in L.A., but they synced it beautifully. And Kareen Bailey Ray was just belting it. And he was, I I mean, I was tearing up. It was so freaking gorgeous. I couldn't believe it. Oh, wow. That's awesome to, to hear and see it. I am curious to see how the Oscars handle the performances and the live songs because they are such a staple of the event. And it seems like every precursor has had, like, they've tried to approach music in one way or another. Like, obviously, again, bringing, I think it was the Critics' Choice bringing up. Could have been the Golden Globes. I'm getting my mm-hmm. shows mixed up. But Lin-Manuel Miranda was just talking at length about the, the songs in the background. But nobody's really gotten the performance aspect just exactly right as far as performing these songs which is something we've come to expect every year on the oscars stage so i am quite curious as to how that's going to be pulled off it sounds like the baftas did well to do it maybe the oscars can kind of borrow some of uh, what the baftas put forward here it's not an original song but it was one of the movie moments yeah. of the year from one night in miami 
And my God, can you pick a more, you know, timely song for this? Unfortunately, but, but the I mean, performance it, came off incredible. well for TV, right? Is what loved you're it. I, yeah. I loved it. I, I swear to God. I mean, I was tearing up. I, it's like this. This is not something you see every day. You can't see this every day. And I, I was really in awe of that. And you know, the final takeaway was that Ang Lee did a really had a really nice BAFTA Fellowship tribute. He talked about cinema. Uh, he was inter- introduced by Hugh Grant, who was actually kind of funny, who had a lot of one-liners in there. He talked about the exquisitely acted cast of <laughs> and of sense of and sensibility, which he was in, of course. So, like that was really funny. And then Ang Lee talked about his production, one of his first productions, his second film school with Sense and Sensibility, and how all the British crew members. He was very rude to all of them with these because <laughs> he, he he barely knew the language and he was just throwing these simple concise directions at everybody and they would like you know weigh which ones would be more rude and he found <laughs> this out later after working with them for you know decades I guess so it's it's it was it was a fun presentation I give them props for pulling off what they were able to pull off it was easily the best presentation of the precursor season thus far oh good and you know the bar has not been raised all that much. And I don't really, I don't mean that as a slight to anyone. It's just that this is such a weird year. There's no blueprint to follow for award shows. So very curious to see what the Oscars have in store. And it sounds like if the BAFTAs were the best, and maybe that's the one, hopefully that Steven Soderbergh and company were most tuned into, uh, because I did see not only you, but I saw some other people actually have high praise for what the BAFTAs were able to pull off in terms of a television show. Mm. Uh, I'm, I'm just fascinated. I, I imagine the Oscars ratings aren't going to be that great, but maybe people will tune in for the train wreck aspect of it all, too, And on the other hand, so to be a little cynical. And maybe the Oscars can impress in that way. If you deliver goods, if you deliver a great show, that word of mouth is going to spread. It's going to help you for the next one. It's just like mm. the last movie for the next movie. And this, it's a one-night-only event in this case, so the box office has got to happen on that night. But in, in the film world, it's different. I mean, the, there are ripple effects. So, yeah, put on a great show, Steven Soderbergh, please. It helps <laughs> us all. And it's all shot on an iPhone. Well, the Baptists <laughs> couldn't have done a better job of setting a stage for a little more chaos on the Oscars stage to come because, mm-hmm. obviously, the big highlights and the big headlines coming out of the Baptist program, not only is how the show played on TV, but uh, maybe probably more importantly, the categories, the acting categories specifically, and the lead acting categories specifically, and some surprises that were done as far as winners went throughout the night. But let's start with supporting actor. Uh, This is something we locked up not too long ago, but Daniel Kalia does in fact complete his sweep of all the major precursors, winning BAFTA for supporting actor for Judas and the Black Messiah. So this is over, over now, right, Mike? Oh, it sure looks like it. I mean, he thanked Shaka King, the cast, Fred Hampton Jr. He delivered yet another profound speech about uh, the situation uh, that we've all been reckoning with this year uh, in that story. But he also kind of had the levity at the end where he's like, it's this early in the morning where I am and I'm just chilling, right? It it was great. It was was just so off the cuff. It is a guy that uh, didn't feel rehearsed at all uh, which is amazing it just it felt natural which for a zoom acceptance speech is exactly what you want from daniel kaluuya he's been nailing it all season he's gotten the reps and and yeah he looks like this the sweep is on right now obviously you never know we've seen crazy things happen in that category before but i'm sure vegas odds are going to continue to shorten and he's going to he's going to look like the runaway and speaking of you never know in Vegas odds on the move, lead actor is where we got arguably the biggest surprise of the night. Anthony Hopkins of The Father pulls off the upset and 
stops Chadwick Boseman from sweeping his precursors. Chadwick Boseman of Ma Rainey's Black Bottom had won everything in the lead acting category, but Anthony Hopkins of The Father wins on the BAFTA stage. So what's happened? We have had Chadwick Boseman's betting odds sh- uh, drift. Short opposite of shortened for some reason you're, you're is drift. There. You're getting there. Why, why there is go. it called widening? Is it called widening? How do you? I mean, does it? Is that necessary? We're having such a good show so far. You got to go with the dad be, joke. It should be called wide. No, it's not a dad joke. It should just be simple. Why isn't it called longer? Yeah. <laughs> I don't get it. Shortening or longer, long, longening, longening? No. All right. I think you just figured out why it's not called longer. I guess so. All right. Bozeman was at minus two thousand. He was one to twenty. Now he is minus sixteen hundred. So he has drifted. Hopkins was plus nine hundred at the BAFTAs, Mike, and now he is plus eight hundred at the Oscars. So I think he was longer. <laughs> Or drifted. Or... There you go. <laughs> anyway, I think he was longer at the Oscars, and now he was in striking distance at the BAFTAs the day before. So those were the odds. We were seeing Bozeman as as short as minus three thirty three hundred to one, mm-hmm. or or one to thirty three hundred rather. I just got to stop saying numbers. I'm I'm digging myself in a hole here. But <laughs> he listen, was a very heavy favorite. Bozeman is not as heavy a favorite now that Hopkins won this award, of course. But let let's be clear, please. I've seen these arguments fly around. And it's kind of it's not really bothering me because it's Anthony Hopkins is so good in that movie. It's it's fine. We we expected something to happen at the beginning of the season that were, that would have been different than a Bozeman sweep. Mm-hmm. They're both deserving. The fact yeah. that we locked the category and we still think Bozeman's going to win, I mean, it's still reasonable. Like, I mean, Jesus, the guy had won the rest of the season. So right. Anthony Hopkins, whatever, you know, I think I think it's lazy to just say it, it, it boils down to one reason. Well, he's a great British thespian or he won six awards at BAFTA or five awards at, ba- at BAFTA before this uh, or four, excuse me. So, that's the same argument we got mad at after the Viola Davis win at SAG. So it's just lazy, in my opinion. It's There's a, a lot of reasons, and it's mostly centered around the fact that Anthony Hopkins is stupendous in The Father. Yeah, um, he's certainly worthy and deserving. And I think going even into Baptist weekend, we were, we were saying if you're looking for any kind of upset, I mean... There, there is, if you're going to pick a second place, it has to be Anthony Hopkins. If you're looking for anyone who could possibly upset Bozeman, it has to be Anthony Hopkins. So that makes sense in that regard. But look, overall, I don't think this shakes our belief that Bozeman is still a lock. And I would still call him a lock. I mean, going from minus 2,000 or minus 3,300 even to minus 1,700 like he is now or minus 1,400, whatever it is, that is still such a heavy favorite. It's, it's almost... It doesn't matter. I mean, the number is so incomprehensibly big that it mm-hmm. almost doesn't matter because you're still not going to put money on Chadwick Boseman anyway. The value is just non-existent. And I still, I think if I remember right, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but even when La La Land was upset by Moonlight, I think Moonlight was like five plus 550 on the night, and La La Land was like a minus 1,000 or a minus 700 or something like that. So if La La Land was minus 700 then you're saying right now Chadwick Boseman is twice as likely as a lock as La La Land was. And La La Land was a pretty big lock before it was upset. And so it would be a stunning loss 
to see Bozeman actually not win and not take home the Oscar. Now, look, does is this that Hopkins win only because of his love from BAFTA? No, and I think you're right to say that would be a lazy argument to just chalk that up completely. But there is this history in the BAFTA's voting body of going towards shining the light on the British nominees and the British movies when they can to kind of do their part in shaping the Oscars race. I think that could have been partly what's in play here. Yeah. Add to the fact that Hopkins is worthy in, in his own right of winning. I think it makes sense. I mean, it's still an upset. Don't get me wrong, but it makes sense to see why Hopkins won. If you go back to like the, I think sixties and seventies, the BAFTA, I forget. I did all these stats last week. And now I forget already. Again, this is, this is what precursor stats do to me and to every <laughs> Oscar pundit. We all forget them immediately after we do them, but the BAFTAs had a best British performance and a best foreign performance. Right. That was, those were their categories right. in each on the actor side. So obviously they want to reward British performances. That's fine. But, you know, we also have the fact that Ma Rainey's Black Bottom wasn't necessarily as widely awarded or widely nominated at the BAFTAs as it was at the Academy mm-hmm. Awards, of course, even though it, it had some big misses at the, at the Oscars as well. But The Father had many more nominations here, and the Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, you could tell that it's it got great costumes and great makeup and hairstyling from the posters and the trailer. You don't necessarily need to watch the whole movie. So I would question how many of the actual voting body of the BAFTAs, the British Academy, how many of them watched the film? Even, I mean, probably more watch The Father. Yeah, I mean, that's a question you could ask of everybody. I mean, we ask that of the Academy all the time. What are they actually watching? What are they actually getting their hands on? And it's, look, it's nice to see The Father have one moment to have one award show, one precursor, because it is that high quality of a film and it is that efficient of a story being told and that should be that celebrated both behind the camera and in front of it. So I, I think this is more of a nice moment than right. like this big kind of dump on the train tracks that's going to derail the, the locomotive. So I, that's what I kind of chalk it up to. The thing, the thing is, posh through Miss winners have been few and far between at the Oscars. So let, let's be honest with you. And we were honest with you when we did the quote-unquote locks episode with the branch gesture opening that we gave you guys. I mean, we were awkward in mm-hmm. that we do, really don't like locking up things, really. We just never have. So we've always kind of said, hey, you never know. Yeah. But... You know, mostly, most of the time. We just don't want you betting. We've been talking about betting. So I think the locks episode was just trying to keep David solvent. Well, there's, yeah, there's no, there's zero value in putting money on Chadwick Boseman right now. Mm -hmm. Don't do it. So, all right. What I'm trying to say is if Anthony Hopkins wins the Oscar, he's deserving. And we, we, it won't be the shock of all shocks is what I'm trying to get at. No, just, I, it would still be a big upset, Mike. It would I be mean, a big upset. We haven't seen somebody with odds that far. Yeah. We haven't seen anybody win an Oscar. We've seen Globes at 20 to 1. Right, right. We haven't seen Oscars. We haven't so seen usually there's consensus. At the end of award season, at the end of the precursors, we've seen it at the start of the precursor season, but we haven't seen anyone after the precursors have been settled overcome odds. That, and look, I mean, if it happens, it's going to be quite a shocking moment, and I don't know that even people can appreciate how big of an upset it would be, but it all remains to be seen. I still, I just, I can't see the Academy not giving Chadwick Boseman and his widow and his family right. that moment. I, if I had uh, if I had to bet a lot of money on it, I would bet on Boseman. Yeah. Simple uh, as that. I, I agree with you there. And as for lead actress, there was another story, another headline being made as Frances McDormand wins the category over Oscar nom Vanessa Kirby and then four non-Oscar nominees with Rada Blank 
Bookie Backray, Wunmi Musaka, and Alfre Woodard also nominated in the lead actress category. So Frances was Izzy's favorite in the category, and that should mean something to us all because she put on a great show for us yeah. in our last episode. Kudos to her yet again She's in so our good. lead actress show there. Uh, this is a race that is going to be decided by something small, by a, a small number of voters, by a tie-breaking vote. It could be Carrie Mulligan on SNL, Mike. It could be... 10 Academy members going one way or another. It could be a rule, an obscure rule from Gregory Peck that he set up <laughs> where you could vote for yourselves at the Oscars. Even Anyway, that, 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 that that's actually more involved. Watch the video, Streisand and Hepburn tie at the Oscars, 1969, <laughs> on Izzy's YouTube there. Be kind, rewind. But, Mike, it could be as simple as a crossover from any one of these relevant precursors. I mean, the Globes, 57 out of 77, 74%. The SAGs, 73%, unless you count Kate Winslet from The Reader winning the other category, and that would actually make it 77%. The Critics' Choice, 14 out of 25, 56%. Not great. The BAFTA numbers are these. 9 out of the last 10, 15 out of the last 20. The categories get weird. 18 out of 30, 19 out of 40. It comes all the way down to 49%. When you go back 68 years and the years are scattered. So the BAFTAs have a good recent track record that amounts to like 75%, as I just said. Otherwise, it gets further and further away with the categories getting weird. So you can interpret these precursor crossover stats however you need to. You can make those arguments however you need to. To me, I just think at the end of the day, in a tight race... What is a voting body going to do? They're looking for permission to vote for people, right, in a way. And we mm -hmm. know this. We know this. They don't want to pick somebody that everybody hates, and they don't want to nominate somebody that everybody hates. They don't want to nominate a choice that gets them in trouble at the end of the day. So I don't think there's any choices like that in the category. I think there's four actresses that have won precursors that look like the four out front. Vanessa Kirby's the fifth, and we would say she's probably still alive because she's great in that movie, Mike. I mean, I would like to think she was, except that if she was going to be alive, this goes back to why you can't just chalk up Anthony Hopkins wins as saying he's got success and, and the Baptists totally love their British counterparts. Because if that was the case, if Vanessa Kirby wins this lead actress category, and right. she didn't, and the fact that she didn't, I think, does hurt her case as much as it helps Frances McDormand's case. I think Vanessa Kirby really did need to win. But yes, uh, as far as her performance in the film, uh, she's one of our favorites on the year in the entire category of any lead actress that we've seen. So if we were the Academy of Mike and Mike here, I think she'd be right in it. As far as the Academy at large, she'd fall short on every precursor stage, even though she's one of the uh, only two that made every precursor nomination in the category. I don't think she has as good a chance as the other four. I do think this is a four way race though and in terms in the likes of which we've never really seen in this category which is awesome to be living through and to be watching especially with four performances and fifth with Kirby's too but all the performances that are so well liked by everyone there's not like one polarizing performance I can really see within like there's there's performances people are higher on than others but there's not yeah. one that's like you know there's no Remy Malik in here right and I'll tell you this though if there's a long shot like a fifth place long shot in the Vegas gambling odds that I'm betting on. Yeah. Well, I'm betting Olivia Coleman <laughs> supporting it, but you know what I'm saying? Like if, if Olivia Coleman's in the fifth spot, even if uh, uh, Amanda Seyfried's in that fifth spot, you know, the fourth, fifth, I'm probably betting supporting actress first, but the next one that I'm betting is Vanessa Kirby. And I'm, I actually might bet Vanessa Kirby over 
Amanda Seyfried. Like, just put a couple dollars and see if I won big, right? Yeah, and I think the Vegas odds, by the time Oscars Sunday rolls around, is going to reflect that. I don't think you're going to have... I mean, Kirby's the only one I can you can make the case for me that she'd be a 10 to 1 or above. But we know how good she is in the movie. So right. people watched it, got through it. She's awesome in it. And she won uh, the, the film festival circuit on mm-hmm. it. So... Yeah, it's possible. Look, I mean, Frances effing McDormand, how do you how do you argue against her in the movie that at least we know everybody has seen in the Academy, right? right? right. Because that's the front runner, so they have seen it. So what do they think of it? Do, you know, at this point, the British Academy has the biggest crossover. Yeah, it was just a mano y mano sort of with with Oscar nominees in this particular category. So I don't know. I I don't know how you you consider the BAFTAs in this case. It's just kind of a nod to Frances McDormand and, a, again, you know, permission for the Academy to actually go through and give her her third at this point? I, I, I do think it helps. It helps. It can I, mean, I, I think she's in the, the conversation. I saw people saying, well, if she wins the BAFTAs, she's going to win the Oscar. I don't follow that logic because no. she should have won the SAG. If I think if she won the SAG and the BAFTAs, then, yeah, I think she'd be not only the leading her in the category, but she'd probably be the betting favorite too, which I don't think she is right now. I think Carrie Mulligan still is. So I think this idea of who's going to win amongst the four that are probably discussed right now, and even Vanessa Kirby, if you want to throw her in there, to, to say you're sure you know who's going to win is just being untrue. God bless you. Yeah, nobody knows. <laughs> nobody has any idea. And I think that's really cool. I mean, we genuinely don't know what's going it to happen cool. in one of the major categories come Oscar Sunday, and that's awesome. And we don't know because it's been so spread out. And it's going to be the longest segment of our predictions pod. I, I just kind of did like a first run through mm-hmm. my predictions, and a lot of those were just going to be like, yep, bing, bang, boom. Right, right. And this is going to be a conversation in that episode. Yeah. So we'll, we'll, we'll hit on it once again. And, and another category, of course, that will... Uh, we'll talk about is supporting actress Mike. And that's went to Yoo Jun Yoon of Minari. She took home her second award in a row. She won SAGs last week. She does win the BAFTA precursor as well this past weekend. She, the first Oscar nominee of this category to pick up a second major award heading in to Oscars night on the 25th, Michael. It really was a fun speech that she gave. Mm. She she started off going, hello, Bryn. <laughs> and then... We are and here then, to rock. Yeah, it was great. And then she's like, first of all, I want to give my condolence for the Duke of Edinburgh. And she got this really classy opening to it, right? Because she was like the first person to do that in in her speech on the night. And then she goes like, you know, British people are known as snobbish people. And yet they approve of me. (laughs) I was like, this is like, filter gone, grandma, filter gone. And that was the speech. And and it freaking... Oh, I forget. David Oyelowo literally bent over at the waist. He was laughing so hard (laughs) in his reaction to her up on the screen. British people are known as snobbish people. And he like guffawed. He couldn't help it. So that was great. So the big talking point after this is that Yoon is going to be the betting favorite and she's the favorite in the category now. And supporting actress and lead actress have kind of done the official swap. And now it's... I think you have to call it. I mean, look, I just said if Francis won SAG and BAFTA, she'd be the betting favorite. Well, Yoon Jun Yoon did that. I think she has to be the favorite in this category right now. And she won over the second favorite, right? In terms of the betting odds, in terms of the precursors, she won over Maria Bakalova. Right. So that means a little more, you think? You would think perhaps. so, yes. Again, 
anything happens in supporting actress on Oscar night, it's not going to surprise me all that right. much, or all of it will surprise me, I guess, is what I should right. say. Because we don't know what's going to happen in supporting actress. Nobody can know. There's a lot of good arguments out there. And yeah, a lot of people had Yu Jung Yoon as the leader in the clubhouse from the beginning because she won so many critics' awards, because Minari has a lot of momentum to it, because a lot of people said that the, she's the representative winner of Minari on the Oscar stage eventually, and because it's a wide-open category where she... Like you said, she plays that mentor character, that mentor hero, to a much more accessible way than right. Glenn Close probably did. Right. And it helps you kind of avoid the, you know, the relative, the crazy relative argument. <laughs> the Close versus <laughs> Coleman argument, to, you know, it helps you avoid all that. And and if you don't want to touch nerves with the political situation and and maybe there are political nerves to be touched there uh on the maria bakalova side and the fact that amanda seyfried's so young and she's got such a you know a a career that's going places and nobody's worried about amanda seyfried right Mm -hmm. now so maybe it does come down to bakalova and yoon and it's going to go to yoon it's going to be fascinating to watch. We got a couple a uh, couple weeks here to to sort it all out, but all right, let's let's talk through some other intriguing wins and closer races that happen on the BAFTA stage as well, Mike. Yeah, another round defeated several Oscar nominees uh, in Minari, Kovada Saida, and the 2020 nom Les Miserables in Best Film Not in an English Language category. Mike, that was a little surprising because Minari was kind of the the, the favorite, I thought, going in. Six Especially nines. if you're going to reward Minari with Yu Jun Yoon, with an actress in one of the acting categories. That is quite surprising to see that happen. I'm going to have something to say about that later, but uh, moving on to documentary for a minute, My Octopus Teacher wins here. But all right, again, we gotta do a reality check on documentary feature. I know my octopus teacher should be considered a betting favorite. Now mm-hmm. I understand that, but the PGA Awards have a three out of the last ten year crossover, and we did those stats in the PGA episode. David and I, they get worse as you go back. <laughs> does not PGA does not pick best documentary feature winners very well. BAFTA is similar, four out of the last ten crossing over, and again, the further you go back. It really, it's not a good crossover stat. So my octopus teacher is a leader in a close race. And I do think something like this in a close race could be a deciding vote. Like we said with McDormand, sure. it could sure. be, that could be it. That's all you need at the end. Late momentum. Fine. In a close race, that makes sense, but not in every race. And, and who has the audacity <laughs> to pick, you know, that category when, when you have such great films in there. I mean, I get that you have a couple international films, but again, is that going to shake that category? Collective and The Mole Agent are incredible films. Yeah. Uh, Time is an incredible film. I, it's it's the, some of the best filmmaking on the year, never mind, uh, in that category. So that, that's a that's a loaded category. Crip Camp was my favorite film for eight months of this year. So mm-hmm. why not go back to Crip Camp? Let's go. Yeah, if, uh, if you're speaking confidently about what Doc Feature is going to do on Oscar Sunday, you must be new here. Uh, <laughs> that category is is a bizarre one from nominee through the final bell but uh, we're going to see what happens and like you say right now sure because of bath does it make sense especially for my octopus teacher to probably be in the driver's seat of that category with that and like four dollars will get you a cup of coffee from starbucks these days as far exactly. as that feature goes so let's talk about <laughs> screenplays for a little bit promising young woman won best original screenplay and best british film on the night so emerald Fennell becomes an assured front runner now heading into the oscars beating the rest of the field for her third 
third major win in a row after Critics' Choice, the WGA, and now BAFTA. Promising young woman, probably the leader as far as original screenplay goes, Mike. Yeah, agreed. She's she's out front. It's clear. One, two, three in a row. Yeah, she lost to Aaron Sorkin at the Golden Globes. But again, the Golden Globes, amidst all the scandal, amidst all the issues that they have, amidst the fact that, yeah, that category doesn't have that great of a crossover in general in terms of winners, mm-hmm. even though we said the nominees are very good because it's one screenplay category at the Globes crossing over. Is Aaron Sorkin, is he still alive? Yeah. Of course he is, and, and right. if anything happens in that category, it's again, it's it's not a lock by any stretch of the mind. Uh, and I think Emerald Fennell is the front runner now, and that's a cool place to award her the 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 Oscar because that that is an, a, a screenplay that throws us through for a loop that accomplishes impossible things. So it's cool, and it it is signifying of a uh, of an academy that's changing which is doubly cool i mean to have get out win to have totally promising young woman win those are all positive signs and and indicators of the academy probably progressing more so than in years past the father maybe surprisingly won best adapted screenplay beating out nomadland and the white tiger as well as other non-oscar nominees the dig and the mauritanian so we've stated throughout adapted screenplay could become a three-horse race and it's now happened as it would seem after this bafta awards nomadland won the critics choice borat 2 won the wga and now the father has won the bafta so there's gonna have be a lot more from us to say about this category in the next two weeks and Perhaps later in this episode when we <laughs> tack on some a conversation we recently had, Michael. Anyway, uh, to, to move a little quicker, Sound of Metal won Best Editing, which was not a surprise necessarily, but this is an important kind of coin flip win for Sound of Metal because it beat the same five nominees at BAFTA that are going to be at the Oscars. So Sound of Metal tied Trial of the Chicago 7 at the Critics' Choice. And again, if you're kind of doing the precursor argument resume thing, this means something because it went head-to-head with the rest of the category right. at, at BAFTA where there is a crossover. Now it won, uh, it won a, a major precursor by itself. We're still waiting on the Ace Eddie winners. So when that happens, we'll kind of you see where Sound of Metal's at in this category. And it was a good day for Sound of Metal, a good weekend, that is, because Darius Martyr also took home Best First Feature at the Directors Guild of America Awards. So Sound of Metal goes two for four at the BAFTAs, wins a DGA as well. It it seems like there's a lot of love being spread amongst the favorites and Mm -hmm. the movies that everyone had, the movies that you could see at the top of everyone's lists in one way or another throughout. It looks like Sound of Metal is shaping itself up nicely to have its moment on Oscar Sunday. It looks like Ma Rainey's shaping up nicely to have its moment. Nomadland certainly as well. Uh, We just talked about The Father too. And even something like the blockbuster of Tenet looks like it could be taking hold of a category. It won uh, VFX at BAFTA stage. It's been in a late battle in the category with the Midnight Sky. Midnight Sky itself had a big night at the Visual Effects Society Guild Awards. Those are always Mm -hmm. interesting to parse through between what happens at the precursors and the Guild Awards themselves. And in another contested category this year that may decide your Oscar pools, (laughs) the present won Best British Short Film and the present is nominated and favored at the Oscars at the moment. So stay tuned. We're going to re- review the live action shorts later this week. And we're going to review the animated shorts later in this episode. Yes. So uh, a lot of big movies this year. Um, 
out there deciding Oscar pools. No, the present and live action <laughs> short is probably going to do it for people. All right, a bunch of other wins went chalk. I'll kind of roll through these quicker. Soul won both the best animated film to start off uh, night two and original music which was cool. Atticus Ross had a nice, cute moment where his daughter jumped into the frame and hugged him. It reminded me of like the, the draft that we talked about a while back, so that was fun. Oh. Ma Rainey's Black Bottom won makeup and hair and costume design on night one. Mank won production design, and we're hoping to have a guest uh, to talk about those two, ca- those three categories, rather, a little further. We got some questions, especially mm-hmm. about Mank, but uh, the ADG Awards, the Art Designers Guild Awards, uh, went for Mank, Tenet, Defy Blood, Soul. They all were big winners on that night, which was happening simultaneously to the Oscars, or to the BAFTAs, rather. That was kind of cool. Uh, in terms of the Oscar noms in production design, we got Mank, we got Tenet, we got Ma Rainey's The Father and News of the World. So I do think it's it's looking like Mank, but you, you, you honestly never know. You really just never know. We lock, we, we didn't lock Mank, or did we? No, we didn't. Purposely. No, not yet. We could lock sound, though, probably, because Sound of Metal won Best Sound, and Mm -hmm. that is something we've been on ever since we saw Sound of Metal. Sound literally plays basically a character in that movie. That's probably a category we can now lock with how well Sound of Metal's been doing in the sound design categories. Yeah, I would agree. Uh, Another category that we maybe want to think about locking here is cinematography. Nomadland's Joshua James Richards wins another major precursor award. He adds the BAFTA's Cinematography Award to his Critics' Choice win. So with that, now let's get into some overall tallies and talk about the final big story here, which is Nomadland and its train or RV, I should say, just keeps on humming along. Yeah, it'll be an interesting indicator on the night. It'll kind of be a nail in the coffin, I would say. If Joshua James Richards does win cinematography, then we're probably looking at Nomadland continuing what it's been doing. Because, yeah, that's that's a category that's not locked. We both know it's not locked, but it's... Yeah, I mean, if, if he wins there, too, the Magic Hour stuff, that that would make some sense. Mm-hmm. Mike, Nomadland won four of the seven awards at the BAFTAs. So, again, we would have said going into this award season that Nomadland was expected at Critics' Choice. It was expected to be a critical darling. But beyond that, were we banking on all of these other award shows to shower it necessarily? You said something a couple weeks ago where you're like, all right, you know, it's a very American movie, and is the British Academy going to so shower it? Niche. It's so yeah. niche and so specific, but yeah, well, here no, we go. This is, it's such a weird movie. I've said this a couple times throughout awards season. Such a weird movie to be a wire to wire front runner for the Oscars. But look, I tweeted this. I you can't pick any other movie for your Oscar predictions for best picture right now. You can't. I mean, you can't, you just can't. And then tell us we're dead wrong for it. Right. Well, no, you can, but you have to admit you're doing it just to be a troll. Like there's no, there's no basis to pick any other best picture winner right now. Other than I'm just guessing. Yeah. I'm just guessing argument is fun though. If you're, you know, if you're, if you're just having fun with the Oscars though, Mike, Sure, but understand there's no logic attached to it, is my point. <laughs> like, just just be honest with us. <laughs> I just, uh, there's some, uh, well, all right, here, here, here's some logic. I mean, Promising Young Woman has a passionate fan base. Maybe it has a passionate academy behind it. Are Minari. You, are, you, are you revealing that you're going to predict Promising Young Woman or Minari? There's, is that what you're doing No, here? I have, you're we laying have a the job. Groundwork? We have a job to do as pundits. <laughs> Maybe if you could say pundits, but... But fans and and cine, oh, if you're on your yeah, no, if you're in your Oscar pool, do what you want. I'm talking about people that like run the sites and and like, right. write articles about this stuff. Yeah. Okay. 
Yeah, no, you, you, yeah, that's. I would agree with you, and I, I can't be told I'm dead wrong about predicting Nomadland. I can't be dead wrong about Best Picture again. At this point, I'm almost <laughs> just like, make it Nomadland, I know. even if it's not my favorite. You and I so both need this. <laughs> we need a win at Best Picture because we suck at it, and maybe that's the kiss of death. But Mike Clojat wins predictably the DGA Award for Best Director as well so nomadland's on a roll cinematography yeah it has another blemish adapted screenplay editing is not coming through for it we'll wait to the ace eddies but it looks like editing's going elsewhere so it doesn't look like chloe is going to win four like a walt disney night but she's winning a lot it's very bizarre too that the two categories nomadland looks most safe in one of them to me is picture like that's so weird i don't understand how that makes sense but like director is locked that's done the dgas agree done i I don't i mean what's second place in picture right now what can you make the case for it nomadland has been so dominant in winning the precursors that it's it's even made it difficult to settle on what the second place movie is i mean i think you can make the case for any of trial promising young woman or minari Right. But I don't think there's any there's enough facts and evidence out there to support definitively any one of those answers is definitely the second movie right now. It's hard. It's hard to make the trial argument after all of its precedents are gone because there was a path for the trial of Chicago sure. Seven if it won BAFTA and SAG Ensemble. Mm-hmm. We've seen that path manifest with a late breaker like Shakespeare in Love in 1998, et cetera, et cetera. You can make the argument there, but now you're kind of really reaching right. to say the trial of Chicago 7 is going to win. I mean, you, you know, like you said, you are admitting the fact that you were just kind of voting for something else just because. Right. I mean, that's how I, I don't – It's the, Nomadland has been dominant. It's been dominant in picture races. Dominant. And from, from wire to wire yeah. with the film festivals, like you said. Mm-hmm. Michael Rocks. I think I was expecting more for Rocks on the Night. It really is an excellent film. It's on Netflix right now. Go and watch it. It went two for seven. It won casting and the EE Rising Star for Bookie Back Ray. And it's really cool, the casting award, because they, they pulled her out of high school, essentially, over there. And and she was 16 when they cast her in that film. So it's, just, it's really incredible uh, how they found a rising star like her, how she carries that movie, how how the entire ensemble cast uh, worked so well together. And she thanked them uh, during that speech. And she's like, I've never met women like you in my life. And that was cool to hear, Michael, because we've been... (laughs) God, it just gave me goosebumps when she said women, the filmmakers... I've never met women like you in my uh, like that in my life. I, I just I'm so thrilled. It was just like a refreshing moment in the industry, like really paying off. Like, all right, women made awesome movies this year. They're get they're at all these award shows, and here is some proof. Like, we are progressing. Like Izzy said, thank God yeah. it's starting to happen, and it's not quite the boys' club as it's always been. I guess. Yeah. Amen to that, and good for rocks too. I mean, look is. Is two for seven great? Well, considering that the movie came from out of nowhere, I mean, I there are tons of tons of pundits, us included, who did not speak word one about rocks leading mm-hmm. up to BAFTA's nomination. So I, I think that's a great showing by that film to to have two BAFTA wins on its resume now. Totally, and, and go and watch it on Netflix. It's worth it. Uh, so as far as other films that won two BAFTA awards on the night, The Father went two for six. It won Best Actor and Adapted Screenplay. Promising Young Woman also went two for six, winning Original Screenplay and Best British Film. 
and Emerald Fennell might have been the speech of the night because it was just so British and funny. Where she's like, I, I want to go over to each one of your houses and kiss you, but I'm not allowed to do that <laughs> for various reasons. And it was <laughs> for various reasons that killed me. Big weekend for Promising Young Woman, too. You are, you alluded to it, but Carrie Mulligan was great on SNL, I thought, from what I saw. Good. Good. I, I didn't watch that. So she was funny. Well, I saw the, the, the Ammonite uh, portrait of a lady on yeah, fire. Yeah, that was good. Spook. She also, I didn't know she was married to Mumford. Of Mumford and Sons. She is married to Mumford. And he yeah, showed I up during that. the monologue, and I, I laughed. It was hysterical. <laughs> there you go. Um, sound and Metal also won two. Went two for four. It wins Sound and Editing. Ma Rainey's and Soul both went two for three. Is that a show of strength for Ma Rainey's, that it went two for three, even though it wasn't nominated more? Or is it a show of weakness in that it wasn't nominated more? I think... I think it's the obvious winner in makeup and hair, perhaps. I don't know. I, that's the thing. We we really need an expert on makeup and hair because yeah. we've had some good calls over the past few years. But I I went through the old stats and the, all of the kind of assumptions about what kind of movies they vote for. Right? It's it, there's a streak recently, but there's not a streak going way back, Michael. Hmm. Like it usually is the character that transforms. Well, yeah, recently. To yeah. the biopic, but no, not going all the way back. Well, and biopic makeup has gotten a lot better lately. <laughs> so that probably yeah. has something to do with it in part as well. <laughs> as far as the films that were won for on the night with Baffus, Minari won for six at one supporting actress, but that's a big win nonetheless as far as Minari's Oscars awards chances go. Mank also went one for six. It won production design. Production design is done. I'm calling it. Did we call that already? I can't remember, but that's over. Mank's winning. Oh, so you're design. calling production design? Yeah. Wow. I, I've seen yeah. nothing to sway me off Mank. Mank, I think, has won every precursor thus far. Yeah. I, they just they made Old West Texas and News of the World. They yeah. made a building blow up. Come Did back. they? Maybe, what movie was maybe that? Maybe I'm confusing. What movie the visual effects that? and the editing and yeah, no, like every other. They blew up a remember. building twice in News of the World, huh? I gotta watch it. <laughs> Ma Rainey's Black Bottom goes strange places. You never know. Judas in another round. Phrasing. Good God. I knew I was going to do this throughout award season when I saw that title. And there it has come to roost. Again, phrasing. Don't, don't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't beat yourself up. We only got two weeks left. First step in admitting getting over a problem is admitting you have one, you know? Oh. Uh, Judas in another round each went one for four and Remy Weeks won best British debut for his house which was yeah. also one for three hell yeah hell yeah as for some offers unfortunately the Mauritanian and the dig they both go over five little surprising because very British both films and they had rough days mm-hmm. news of the world calm with horses went over four shut up gotcha <laughs> damn it sorry tried to preempt that <laughs> Perhaps the most telling O for on the night, though, was The Trial of the Chicago 7. O for 3. It did not get a ton of noms, but best film, original screenplay, editing. You would have thought it was a contender for all three, much like Ma Rainey. Ma Rainey could have gone 3 for 3, Mike. Trial of Chicago 7. If you told me it was going 3 for 3 at the BAFTAs, you know, I thought I would have looked at you and, and thought you were a reasonable, cogent person. You you had your head, your faculties. But coming out of the Baptist, now 0 for 3, I, I would have been surprised if you told me that going in. Yeah, are we on the verge of, of Mank and Trial of Chicago 7 going to combined like one for whatever? Yeah. yeah I mean, we're, we're on the verge of that. I mean, look, Trial of Chicago 7 is still a contender. It's still a main challenger in many categories. And for, for good reason. It's just uh, it's it's not having the precursor award season that 
we thought it would. Not necessarily we, that a lot of people thought it would, and yeah, that we, and we from the beginning said it shouldn't. Not, I was going to say, <laughs> how about not that? necessarily how about that? a bad thing. <laughs> right. How about that for the freaking smuggiest punditry talk? You it's knew it was fraught, coming. Look, it's fraught with problems. It just is, especially for two progressive people, progressive pundits like you and I who say it just is. That's no, just but we're also that. weird. Yeah. We're also oh, yeah. filled no, I mean, with... We're not, yeah, we... We speak for ourselves, and we realize that. <laughs> yeah, we're filled with rage often on the show. It's not just a talk, talk radio gimmick. It's just us, who we are. And, yeah, the, 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 trial, the trial of the Chicago 7 got our goat. It just did at the yeah. beginning of the award season, and we don't like the movie like other people like the movie. And that's that's fine. We love Aaron Sorkin's career. I just I'm, it's It's been hard for me to be mad at Eric, Aaron Sorkin of course, for of this course. long. Like It really has been hard, but I, I am kind of mad at him still. And if you could have seen what they did to The Fiend and the beginning of night two of WrestleMania, talk about right. rage. All right. Of course. Let's as talk. I always say. Yeah. <laughs> the animated shorts. We have five more short films we're going to review. These are the five nominees for the animated short category. Again, this is available. It's a great deal. $12. You get over an hour of time with uh, the shorts in a package at the Middleburg Film Festival on Middleburg Film Festival's website. This is Burrow Genius Loki, I think. Loki, maybe. Opera, If Anything Happens, I Love You. And Yes, People. Those are the five nominees. Uh, we're just going to go quickly through them and kind of recap them, give them, give you our thoughts on them. We'll start uh, like the Middleburg Film Festival did with Burrow, Michael. It's still adorable. I mean, do, do you did you watch that and like have feelings that were not just aw? The way rabbit all those animals are so friendly and sensible and helpful. All this did was make me want to follow my dream of living underground and leaving humanity forever, even more. <laughs> Be one with the burrowers. <laughs> It was so cute. It's such it a cute. nice, such a nice little short film. Rabbit's trying to build his own house, and he just he needs help. Yeah, he needs help, but people help at people, or burrowers help at burrowers. <laughs> yeah, burrow Disney Plus. <laughs> Very good. Genius Locky, on the other hand, is this meeting of the minds? I'm going back to my Latin. Anyway, genius locations of the mind. I don't know. This is the artsy portion of the program, and. <laughs> This was really funny getting your text yesterday. I was with this short until the chamber piano player with the Polish friend turns into a tree. And if that sentence doesn't encompass what you need, all you need to know about this short, then I don't. I like the art was cool. The was way cool. they leave so much blank space on the paper, like the, the baby's crib's background fades in with the rest of the paper. I thought that was cool. I thought they were trying to make a statement with that, but. I, I don't know. What's the what's the deep meaning of this? That people have rage that goes untethered at times? Cyclops, triangle head babies have <laughs> needs and you really should attend to them. And otherwise you just feel like a dog sprinting through city. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I thought it was like some of those shots were great, especially the doggy shots. I loved them. I mean, it was the most French animated short ever. <laughs> Like giving a cigarette to a baby, right? <laughs> Down to the the Picasso like drawing yeah. in of the the people and the single gong hit of the the score was complex, especially for a short. I thought you had like single note, single drum hit scores, and then this really overly orchestrated uh, score when the church when the main character goes into the church and does meet her friend who's playing the pipe organ. Like that was cool, but I I didn't. I was so confused as to what was going on, and just I didn't I didn't like it. I, I'm not a huge fan myself. I can't I can't lie. But look, any any 
parade of shorts that you watch. I mean, I, we, I watched a couple short film presentations throughout the year, and there's always one of these. Right, exactly. <laughs> there's always a, you know, the the fin ending. <laughs> right, it's exactly, that is exactly, that's perfect. That's what this short is. It's the one with the fin ending. <laughs> exactly. All right, Opera Mike, this was cool. I thought this was the exact opposite of how I felt about uh, Genius Loki, because... Look, if you give me a hint that you're reaching for a deeper meaning in something, or you're like you're making, you're clearly trying to make a commentary about something, I'll go with you. I'll follow your your consciousness here, and I think that's what Opera did. And I thought it was really cool and really well done. It was like this. What, what were those machines? The uh, the machines that like if you roll a ball and it hits a domino and it goes down and the pinball uh, machine. Yeah. No. 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 <laughs> No, it was a pinball. No, no, you're right. The Rube Goldberg machine is what I was getting. Although it does kind of look like a pinball machine. But it was kind of that idea. It's all held within this pinball machine looking device where everything on different levels affects the thing on another level. I thought it was really cool. The, the, The pinball machine of humanity. Yeah animated and just scroll down and i i thought it was fascinating like your eyes i mean i I i'd be curious to rewatch it actually because your eyes go to a different spot every few few seconds and there's so much commented like there's the last supper symbolism corporate america homelessness sex racism class warfare the planet i just i thought it was really really well done i was very impressed by this it was incredible i was a fan i was a big fan i'm pretty sure the meaning of parasite and the meaning of <laughs> <laughs> I'm saying that because it's a it's a Korean cinema, but no, I'm, I'm getting your go because that's what immediately what I thought. I was like, ah, class warfare, Korean film, and I am just a rube <laughs> as a critic. Anyway, Michael, this next one, I'm dying to know what you thought of it. This was something I've hyped up before on Netflix. If anything happens, I love you. Made me choke back tears once again for yeah. the third time in a row. I had a lump in my throat while watching this. I don't know if it was just me bracing for it because it got me twice before. I don't know if you steeled yourself against this. How did you receive this? Will you even admit it right now? Or are you going to be a tough guy? No, all I wrote for notes for this was God damn it. And uh, got you. Good. Yeah. Thank God. You're, you're human. After all. I'm not talking to Bray Wyatt. Or is, is that the theme? Bray Wyatt? Yeah, no, that's a good comparison. I was ready to be like, well, how could any, I was so impressed by opera. I was like, opera should win this. I haven't like, why is anything? I mean, if anything happens, I love you. Are we talking about a divorce story? Why is this so sad? No, it's, yeah. it's heart wrenching. I was choking back tears. It's literally, it's quite sad. It's that sad. It's that moving. It was incredible. Absolutely incredible. That that much emotion could be packed into a short film like that. Yeah. Netflix. How do you do that in 12 Mm -hmm. minutes? Yeah. It's just hire those people that do like feature length. Absolutely. Absolutely. It was so good. So, Oh my God. Heartbreaking. Heartbreaking. Probably the favorite in the category you would think. If for accessibility, if for no other reason, you know, I mean, it's on Netflix. It's got it had its own moment in the zeitgeist, which we've commented on a couple times. It was hot on Twitter, not just film Twitter for a little bit. So I think it's the most well known, at least. Maybe you can make the argument for Burrow because that's on Disney Plus. But I would think P.S. If anything happens, I love you. Not P.S. I love you. Is uh, I love you. (laughs) I would think movie. Right. Exactly. I would think that's the most seen of these, at least. Well, it would make for I mean, let's put it let's be honest right now. I found betting odds on these, Michael, and all Netflix shorts are in the lead right now. So if Netflix yeah. sweeps the the short program, does that uh, bomb the sting of uh, another Best Picture loss for Netflix? <laughs> uh, I'm sure not, it does. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, that's easy. 
<laughs> yes people what did you think of yes people yeah 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 funny iceland oh my god it has maybe the most necessary and needed fart in the history of cinema because I was so desperate after seeing If Anything Happens, I Love You. I was so desperate to feel happiness and joy in anything that I cracked up when that happened, when the right? fart happened in this short. And it was it's a legitimately funny short, I thought. I thought it, was, it made me crack up a couple times. Pointy Nose Mom with the uh, recorder, recorder recital, whatever, is teaching mm-hmm. the kid. And then, you know, her dancing to wake up her son. And then, yeah, my God, the old lady, she made me laugh several times, <laughs> of course, with the great finale there in the shovel i yeah i'm a big fan of that one seek it out i don't think it's playing anywhere except for this shorts program which they added three more to mike with copy mahu the snail in the whale and two gerard which is also on peacock but two gerard's another one that was very good uh but yeah this this five i've never had a roller coaster of emotions yeah like for a five short film slate as this one. Like this was the weirdest, most complex set of emotions that I've been through in any short film presentation yet. Yeah, it definitely drew out the most emotions. I agree. I mean, it was everything from <laughs> heartache and sadness to just rage about genius Loki. So <laughs> rage gambit. indeed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, if you do get your hands on the animated shorts, we do want to hear from you what you think about those as well as uh, we want to hear your takes about the, your thoughts on what happened on the BAFTA stage and what do you think it does in terms of shaping the Oscars race. We're going to give you, we'll leave you with our social media and our outro. Now, on the other side of our outro, though, we are going to tack on. Uh, look, we teased a couple times we were expecting a special guest for the screenplay category. Uh, life happens as is, you know, what are you going to do? What can you do about it? So we're yeah. going to have to reschedule that guest. We're hoping to get them in before the Oscars show. Uh, if not, we're going to get them in at some other point. But on the uh, the other side of the outro here, we, Mike and I, recorded a, an adapted screenplay analysis and a breakdown for that category. We recorded that prior to the BAFTAs. Uh, stage, So there's some allusion to what may happen on Baptist Sunday as far as the adapted screenplay category goes. But it's a worthwhile listen. It's about 20 or so, 25 or so minutes. So it's a, it's a really decent, comprehensive breakdown. We think there's merit to it. So we're going to tack it on at the end of this. But as always, as we run through our outro as normal here, what we want to do is hear from you. You could leave us your thoughts, comments, questions, concerns about anything else we do here in the MMO Empire, including what you hear from us this episode on our social medias. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Facebook and Instagram at MM and Oscar on Twitter, Mike, Mike, and Oscar at gmail.com.com and on Reddit. If you're listening to us on the Apple Podcast app, if you appreciate what we do here, if you would please tap on our cartoon faces and leave us a five-star review those go a long way in helping us out michael what are some words of wisdoms and uh what's coming next from us before we transition into the adapted screenplay segment it is wise to read books that's all <laughs> no I mean, it, it, it was fun to read books for this category the adapted screenplays to come here but uh i didn't go over them i kind of g- gave my book reviews earlier in the season mm-hmm. uh I didn't. Do, I didn't do it for this one. We just kind of power ranked what we thought was the the best screenplays of the bunch. That was that was really cool. We've been doing top five episodes all year, people. So this was another like a little twenty five minutes version of that. In terms of what's coming next, I think we got two big episodes uh, this week. Uh, again, you know, vaccines are happening. People are feeling sick. So we, you know, hopefully, hopefully everybody's getting vaccinated. Hopefully everybody's 
feeling better and getting through it and guarding themselves against this virus. So let's do that. Let's do that for the community. Let's do it for everybody around us. And it's important. Otherwise, yeah, we got two category reviews this week. We got three episodes scheduled for next week and a couple of big ones. So the usual programming continues. We, we just did act, supporting actress and lead actress with Swell Entertainment and Izzy from Be Kind Rewind. And there's more cool guests to come. Absolutely. So, guys, when reality sucks, you can come watch these movies. Get ready for the Oscars with us. We're Mike, Mike, and Oscar trying to make award season year-round without the stuffiness. Uh, we will see you next time, and stay tuned for the Adapted Screenplay Rundown. See ya. All right, so let's dive right in and talk about the Adapted Screenplay category. We obviously are dealing with the five nominees here, but before we get to those, let's talk about some movies that we felt could have been nominated, would have been okay if they were nominated, but they uh, they fell short. Let's talk about some snubs in the adapted screenplay category. Uh, one of those was a movie that we were very high on that actually has a single nominee. We've referenced a bunch throughout award season, but Pieces of a Woman, Mike, I, I, I feel like you and I were two of the more higher critics, pundits, whatever the hell we are, about that movie in total, very, more than just Kirby's performance. Very true. I think it's in both of our top fives on the year. I think the fact that they pulled off so good the opening, literally, literally the cold open before the the title yeah. card for thirty minutes, and and that sequence, that birth sequence. My God, I've never seen anything written in a film like that. I just haven't. Uh, and you know, I'm with critics that it does have to slow the pace down after that. Uh, mm-hmm. the, after that high tempo opening and and very stressful first thirty minutes, but I, it worked on me and the quiet scenes worked on me uh, like they did you. And that was one of our most listened to episodes on the year. Pieces of a woman. It's it's real. I just I don't I don't see a lot of fault with it. But it, a great movie. But another movie that you and I were incredibly high on as a movie, maybe less than Pieces of a Woman, but uh, something wholly overlooked I felt throughout all of award season was French Exit. Patrick Dewitt, the accredited writer there, that fell short. French Exit we felt could have been contending in a couple categories. Yeah, but this one with the seance and the cat. That's where the... they lost me. That's why I said less than pieces of a woman, yes. <laughs> I I get why this one is not necessarily, you know, mm-hmm. getting showered with awards in the sense right. that it's it's strange. It's a weird-ass screenplay. <laughs> and a year of weird-ass screenplays getting nominated, uh, like Borat 2, for example. But this one, this one's strange. And I get that, the, you know, you, you got to have, like, an eclectic taste. But again, you know, the, the flashbacks really worked in French Exit for me. I thought it had a resounding impact. I was very impressed with this screenwriter. He wrote the, the novel of the same name. And, you know, he, Jacob's got that performance out of Michelle Pfeiffer there, out of Josh Hedges. My goodness. Lucas I think uh, I think this movie's been ignored. And Sony Pictures Classics kind of held it. And we get, we get why, you know, the, the, well, then again, now they finally, they finally sold some things, Sony. Over there at Sony, that's <laughs> something else money. to talk about. They're, but they're floating above, yeah. But yeah, French Exit. I, I I wish it had more of an impact on award season. It's a it's a it's a hell of a film. It's crazy how inaccessible that movie became because of that one scene too. Like mm-hmm. it was, I feel like a pretty universal story being told, or at least something relatable. And then we're talking to cats. I mean, you th- uh, you think about it. It's like Succession, but on their asses and. <laughs> 
It's like the the characters that we don't get to watch in succession or something. Right. 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 It's like that. The foo-foo, shunned part of the family right. from succession. The foo foo right. rich <laughs> debutante and wife and, and mother. Yeah. It's 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 the story untold about the super ridiculously Caucasian and rich. And, and they're making fun of themselves the whole time, which is why I loved it. I mean, it's a satire. And they are shunned because they talk to cats that are reincarnated. So that all it all comes full circle. There's something more conventionally as a contender that uh, we thought might be in this category as a nominee that does fall short, but has is on track to win some major awards elsewhere on the card. Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, Ruben Santiago Hudson, the credited writer there. I'm a big fan of the composition of that movie at 90 minutes, Mike, mm-hmm. to have that many memorable scenes, of course, it's a testament to August Wilson and the source material from Broadway, from the stage that came to the screen. And I get why people are like, all right, I mean, that's where the credit lies. And let's award these other films that are, you know, they're, 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 that are less reliant on, you know, one of the greatest writers of our generation in, in this case. So I get that. But at the same time, it works as a movie and it, and it works as as a showcase for these 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 two performances that i mean to be honest with you i thought it should have won ensemble too at the at the mm. sag so it's not just the two performances but it's a story that really worked on me and it almost should not have worked like it should have gotten too loud at points it shouldn't got it gotten too theatrical on at, at times and yet here we were a couple months ago just giving it a rave review well it's a stage play i mean they kept the essence of the stage play that this was adapted from Within a movie, and I, I've said multiple times throughout the year, that adaptation had no business being that cinematic and being that efficiently told as a story. So uh, I'm with you. And I also, I don't understand just on the basis, if you have what's called the best leading male performance and the best leading female performance of the year, how that's not enough to be credited as the best you, ensemble of any picture. Yeah, you would think that would have had more coattails at SAG. You would think that would have had more coattails throughout the Academy. It's, it's a little strange that they kind of monopolize the credit in, in two particular areas or three with the makeup and whatnot. But maybe that maybe the fact that it was such a contender in a couple of spots or a front runner in a couple of spots now, uh, according to the guilds, maybe that hurt it on the rest of the card. Maybe people just assumed it would get in and and voted for it some other things. Mm. I don't know. Could be. Could be, could be uh, that the coattails of that puzzles theory we always talk about. Some movies you were high on, Mike. You had Emma, which you've been talking about all year long. I'm a huge fan of that screenplay. I've been watching that movie all year long. It was like the last movie movie, one of the last movie <laughs> movies I saw. I mean, The Invisible Man being another one that I guess we could talk about in this category as well. But we both had issues with The Invisible Man script. But mm-hmm. Emma, Emma is a fun, cool, bubblegum colored way to... to get back to that story and that's a you know jane austen's stories are something that i've discovered recently uh this is not something that i've i've lived with my whole life it's something my mother's been trying to get me to watch forever and i yeah i mean she's got writing chops and here we have eleanor catton probably not getting enough credit for this adaptation because of the understatement of the century that i just mentioned jane austen having some writing chops mike <laughs> you were also very high on the life of the life ahead yeah i mean andrew morgan really talked he talked me up further on this sophia loren movie on netflix uh, it's wonderful italianness throughout it's uh it's 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 got a great central performance not by Sophia Loren but Ibrahima Gaye I mean that is a kid who can act that is a kid who 
My God, I mean, you, you I mean, the way the filmmaking by Sophia Loren's son in that movie is underrated because uh, he got his mom to act for her, for him, and the fact that he was able to tell such a moving story about this kid who's making his debut in this movie. My goodness, I'm just very impressed with the life ahead. It's it's really a great story about unlikely parent son relationship, and, it, and it's messed up. It's like that, you know. It's it's not this uh, cookie cutter version of that story either. So maybe you know that's that's a reason why it doesn't fit into an awards category or a lot of awards categories. But who knows? Maybe it'll work for Diane Warren in the original song category. <laughs> People were expecting Sophia Loren's name to pop up at some point in award season because of it. And uh, the half of it is another one you've been pretty high on all year long. Michael. I love this. I don't even know if it's an adapted screenplay technically, Michael, because that's how underappreciated this movie is, that it doesn't even really say. Like, I, I know it's Cyrano de Bergerac, so I'm guessing it's it's the it's a adaptation of Cyrano de Bergerac mm-hmm. where... You know, there's the romance, but then there's the person behind the romance and who's really in love with the, you know, the Roxanne, Steve Martin story, if you're not uh, privy to the French uh, long nose guy. But the half of it from Alice Wu, great performances by a bunch of young actors. It's a little corny. It's it's a little silly, but they kind of make light of that as well as a coming of age high school movie. It reminded me of 10 Things I Hate About You. Uh, it reminded me of, of that kind of genre. It's a lot of fun on Netflix as well. Well, there you go. So those are some names of some adapted screenplay snubs that we would have been okay uh, seeing their names nominated, but those aren't the ones that we have here as nominees for the category. As we are instead talking about the five nominees in the adapted screenplay category, those being, of course, Borat 2, Subsequent Film, uh, One Night in Miami, Nomadland, The Father, and White Tiger. We're going to run them down and rank them ourselves, five through one, uh, I'm doing four because I still have yet to see The White Tiger. I haven't dove in yet. So just kind of by it's it's not available for me, but you still had it as your number five anyway. Yeah, well, I'm going to I'm going to throw you under the bus here. You got talked out of watching it. You didn't listen to me. No, uh, which is nothing unusual for this podcast. (laughs) You listen to your friend. Yeah. And I guess I guess I don't know what to tell your friend. I never met this particular friend, but I'm a little. (laughs) I'm a little upset because so bitter. <laughs> so no, bitter. You, his criticisms don't make sense to me. Anyway, I, you're, you could have totally uh, mischaracterized them, but I, I was entertained by the movie. It, it has some flaws in the story. It's messed up and 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 has this edge to the storytelling. It's from this novel that certainly is. I'll just say it. it, it it's it's attacking. Or the main character is attacking a lot of social mores, and and he and the main character is tough to like at times, even though you you it should be that underdog story. So maybe it's an expectations thing where you're expecting the story to go one way and it goes another way. But I, you know, we watch so many movies, Mike. Maybe we like it when you know the genre is kind of busted a little more, and, and maybe your friend doesn't. I don't know. Again, I'm just backhanded backhanding him this whole time. I don't even know the guy. And now I can't watch The White Tiger, just out of principle. I have to take a stand. Yeah, you're so... Every fucking chance you get not to watch a, a movie... <laughs> I gotta, 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 I'm coming after you at some point. <laughs> Jesus Christ. The rationalization factor for 2020 critically acclaimed movies on Mike 1 this year. I just... I, I'm sick of it. I'm throwing if you don't you under the stand bus. for something, Mike, you'll fall for anything. Well, I get it because you've been disappointed by a lot of these films. I, you, you have, yeah. And it's just, and I get the wrath 
via text message every time that happens. <laughs> every so I get it. I so this it. this time your friend told gave you that same kind of wrath, and you were like, "That's exactly nope. what it is." Like I can't if it is skip. I can't if it's something that I'm not going to. I, I can't. I can't do it anymore. <laughs> I gotta. I gotta move on. I'm okay talking about the movies that and I enjoyed. Yet the this documentary year. shorts, Mike. You indulge. You love them. It's true. It's true. I thought they were great. I thought they were great. So maybe the White Tiger is something I will take in after award season. But <laughs> you, yeah, it'll be like four years from now, and you'll come back and right. say whatever you're going to say about it. Right. Exactly. How, feel however you're going to feel about it. But so look forward to an MMO Weekly in 2025. My God. Uh, <laughs> number four. I, I know you're much higher on this than I am. I, I'm being a little unfair, probably. Uh, I do love Kemp Powers. I do hope Kemp Powers wins. One Night in Miami is my four, and it's strictly only because I think it's of the four movies that are left here to rank, it's the one that's left the least impact on me in terms of like things that stuck with me about the film specifically. Hmm. I don't know. I, I don't know that I can say that because the, the musical goods delivered uh, and the way they showcase that with the storytelling is, is something I will never forget. I mean, the goosebump mm-hmm. moments at the end there. So, and so I, I don't, I don't understand that quite well, but uh yeah, I'm not no, saying I'm just, it wasn't impactful. I'm, I'm, I'm just it's subjective anyway, and you're parsing through four great scripts or at least four daring and edgy scripts here in different ways. So it's, you know, it, it, you're kind of splitting hairs in a way, but it's the we're one. We're getting to the point here where it's like, yeah, four through one, it's close. Let's be honest. Yeah. It's, it is it is legitimately close. Yeah, I, I, that's that's kind of where I'm, where I'm getting at with that. But what was your number four? So my number four is Borat, subsequent movie film. Yeah, that was my favorite. And yeah, you're 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 a little higher on it than me, but uh, I again I I knew they rewrote it for the pandemic with the pandemic, and that was incredible feat, and that was a team of writers uh, with Sasha Baron Cohen involved, and I would I would say that uh, Maria Bakalova should probably get a writing credit there. I know that's a whole mm. you know big legal thing and and big guild thing or whatnot, but uh, I would I, I, she's improvising so much. I'm guessing, right? Well, yeah, and that's kind of why I also put it a little higher, too, in my rankings, is that the degree of difficulty for that, not only adapting to the pandemic, but pulling off the coherent through line in these situations where, like we talked about when we were talking about the the supporting actors category as well, I mean, these are legitimately dangerous situations that these actors are in. I, I think pulling off a story through that is something impressive, but I agree with you that Bakalova probably deserves all the creative input because you would think she's doing improv on the fly at certain parts. Yeah, so I guess if I take a step back and I, I, I'm looking at the story in itself, I should be higher on it, but I probably give more credit to the performers at the mm-hmm. end of the day, to the improvisers or the people I assume are improvising. And maybe I'm dead wrong. Maybe maybe they wrote these lines down for these people and they predicted what these other people would say to you know on the money and they're such great <laughs> pranksters that they, they really condition these actors and coach these actors up for being ready for anything. Or maybe that was Sasha Baron Cohen's role because he's had 20 years of experience doing this with Maria Bakalova. Maybe mm. that's why she doesn't get the credit in this instance. But I do believe there's Maria Bakalova writing her own lines, you know, on stage with the crazy PTA meeting. I, I believe she's making shit up as she goes with the Rudy Giuliani there. Maybe again, maybe not, but so that's where this is like a, a situation where I understand how you have it higher than me. And I'm probably I'm probably nitpicking and not giving it enough credit in this particular category, you know. 
Well, Borat was my three. It was your four. Your three is my two as well, and that's Nomadland. So it's another one where you're trying to figure out how to give Chloe Jacques credit, right, Mm -hmm. for Nomadland. Are you giving her credit for the story? Are you giving her credit for the direction? Are you giving her credit for the editing? All of which she has you know, control over in this movie. And it, it, it the movie does pack an emotional wallop on rewatch. I mean, we, we've nitpicked it hard of late, but whenever a story gets to me like that, I, I do have to consider it on the page. And I do have to consider the fact that here we have that novel that bored the ever living shit out of me. Sorry. I just mm-hmm. can't, you know, I, I have to say it the, the, to me, the, the strength of this story and this movie and this script, Mike, is that they enhanced the the novel that I really or the, the the book that I really couldn't engage in the way I had hoped. So the fact that we got this through line that with the invented fern character amongst all these real nomads who are in the book, it's almost like they created an audience surrogate from the big short. Remember the big short, Adam McKay, but they you know, they didn't. They they used those characters and then they you know, from the book and created uh, various through lines with Brad Pitt, Carell, Christian Bale, etc. in that one. But here you have Chloe Jean inventing a new character and a new through line. And there's a healthy character arc too, which if that's what you focus on in the plot, I mean, there's a fully fleshed out one in this script as well. The Big Short's actually a great comparison in a couple ways because that also was subject matter like Nomadland that you would think is very uncinematic in a way. I mean, maybe Nomadland kind of the subject matter, the source material lends itself more to those cinematic shots and the cinematography that we do get in Nomadland. But still, you it takes a touch to turn that script into something, the adaptation of that into something that's as cinematic as what we got in both The Big Short and Nomadland, certainly, even though I'm not crazy about the movie. But I, I do think degree of difficulty again comes into play, whether you're talking about adapting the script into something cinematic or you're talking about dealing with non-traditional actors in this or regular actual nomad people turning into uh, movie stars going up against the Francis McDormand's and the David Strathairn's. Yeah, I, I, I agree. There's a lot of highs and there's a lot of uh, highlights to be had for what the Chloe Zhao written script does. And the movie that it actually reminds me of, and I, I just haven't been able to shake this over the last like few weeks mike and this is going to sound so ridiculous but for some reason the hurt locker the mark bowl <laughs> catherine bigelow script right mm-hmm. where <laughs> jeremy renner is got like this kind of circular story that 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 fern and francis mcdormand has and it's just not the way you'd think they tell that story mm-hmm. this is kind of the road trip the road trip movie we never thought we'd get the endless road trip right i mean it did with i don't know the destination you're wondering what it is the whole time i mean it's it's this elusive thing and nomad land nomad land just left me feeling that way where i'm like i can't believe yeah i can't believe i got a story like this and it's getting awarded this much because I didn't, I didn't expect the Hurt Locker. I mean, I knew based on precursors that year. It was my first year out of college. I knew it was going towards some big wins right. on Oscar night. But I, I didn't really. I, I didn't. I was kind of refreshed by the fact that a movie like that could win. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, that's a good poll. That's a. It's a great comparison. There's also that yearning, that need to fill a hole of emptiness in the protagonist. Yeah, I could see that comparison working out. 
quite well between those two. Good call by you. All right. So uh, Nomadland, my two, your three. Uh, your number two is also my number one, and that's The Father. I wanted to put this higher like you. I was considering number one. But uh, I, uh, I do think... I do think that in terms of the degree of difficulty of that screenplay, you're right, you're right on. I know you love that factor. Yeah, I do. Uh, when I, it comes I weigh to it this heavily. category, I I was impressed by how efficiently that story is told and how you don't get lost, even though the protagonist is literally lost mentally a couple times throughout that. I mean, there were times I was trying to keep up with it and just try to figure out what's going on, but that's part of what the the perspective was supposed to be the audience was supposed to feel as lost and confused and disoriented as times as somebody who is suffering uh, from dementia, like Anthony Hopkins character was, and then have it all come through at the end. And there's still the, the, the emotional connectivity, that connective tissue that draws you into it and makes it so universally and relatable uh, as you are to these characters, whether you're more drawn to Olivia Coleman or whether you're more drawn to Anthony Hopkins, or you take care of someone that has afflictions like Anthony Hopkins does. It's just, I really think that's one of the more impressive screenplays of the entire year in The Father. And it's also another one tight at 90 minutes. Very. And I, I'm just so impressed when you're able to do that. We we barely get episodes done under 90 minutes. <laughs> it's true. So, I, yeah, I'm, I'm thrilled with the fact that The Father's able to juggle the genres and we're going to talk about genre a lot in these screenplay categories and those expectations and 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 how as an audience member you know you're juggling expectations in that genre and this one is also applying audience surrogacy and everybody's own personal experience that the film goes in knowing everybody has some kind of connection to like you're saying like this is a relatable film Mm -hmm. And it's it, it it is wrapped up in a genre, unfortunately, like a promising young woman, unfortunately, like a pieces of the woman, right? Where you have these universal experiences or these experiences on, that, that that have been shared by a lot of people and that have touched a lot of people. And here, you know, you're you're putting it in a genre, but it's always respectful. And I think that that level of detail is that extra level of respect i mean so the fact that he had this on the stage again and he brought it to the screen mike and the fact that we have it nominated for production design which can be a very theatrical nod right i mean Mm -hmm. can be something that he would translate from the stage but also editing which could not be more cinematic and the fact that you have an adapted screenplay where you know he he's fusing the, the the stage to screen just in the and how we're respecting it as an academy it's just i like i like to talk about the academy like it's we right <laughs> yeah it, it's very impressive it's very impressive it truly is an adaptation that was so successful in my brain i couldn't agree more i was i was quite impressed in a lot of ways and like you said to efficiently tell that in a shorter time period uh, as Florian Zeller does on top of it is is something to behold. But all right, you're number one. Uh, you, I said you were much higher on One Night in Miami than I was. That's your number one, Mike. I wonder if the fact that you're a lawyer and you've had to deal with so many verbal altercations and you've had to deal with me for these four years now who wears <laughs> you down with uh, his voice and the fact that he never stops arguing even when he's probably wrong and... and uh, <laughs> And contradicting himself. It's so relatable. Last. <laughs> yeah, but I, this is a movie about argument. And I, I I love a movie that contrives, yes, 
all of these arguments with these historical backdrops. And yeah, Malcolm and Marie is a different kind of the, one of those, right? And th- that has just been abrasive to many people this year. And it's just kind of a love it or hate it sort of thing. But I go back to loving Mike Nichols films like Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf and a mm-hmm. lot of the stage plays that have been adapted to, to the screen. And I, I love One Night in Miami because of the electricity in the arguments and the fact that it builds to such a cinematic conclusion with sight and sound and that musical finale i just i'm a huge fan i'm a huge fan of the whole experience of one night in miami even though the story is perhaps a little more traditional in its structure mike which mm-hmm. again as kind of this former screenwritery guy i can admire uh, on the one hand even though it has the, the one issue in terms of its tempo like we've mentioned a bunch but so I, i'm still there with it i'm still i'm still in 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 favor of regina king's direction with all the spectacles early really to bookend the film and then the fact that you get that chamber peach where you kind of replace all of the big settings and the the big cinematic spectacle of it with the the hardcore stage play dialogue argument and 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 obviously what that means in in these particular times I, i i do have to go one night miami here but i would agree with you i think the top four are pretty close in the in the high degree yeah. of difficulty in the in the goods delivered in the highs of those scripts. So I can't I can't, I can't really blame you either way. I can't blame anybody. I mean, maybe that you could talk us into the White Tiger being one of those, and you can force Mike one to watch it, people. So please do that <laughs> on social media and add us. I was going to retort by saying, now if Kemp Powers was a lifelong Sixers fan, where does One Night in Miami rank on your top five right now? <laughs> no, no comment. No, I I definitely up to my eyes in Knicks right now, and I definitely. The fact that he's a Nick fan and the fact that he made that joke in Seoul endeared him to me in an impossible level right now. Yeah, I, 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 I no doubt about it. That's a bias. Uh, I would 100%. love to see him uh, awarded on the Oscar stage, though. I mean, just uh, knowing what he that he was a part, so much of part of Soul, and doing what he did in that movie as well. He deserves some kind of recognition on this year. I, yeah, I'd be fine if One Night Miami won. But that's again a testament, like you just said, how close these four films probably are. Yeah, so we'll see what happens. We're recording this before the BAFTAs. Obviously, we're going to do predictions episodes uh, it, it, right, right at the top of Oscar week, we think, right now. But we're, we're recording this before The Dig, The Father, The Mauritanian, Nomadland, and The White Tiger duke it out. One Night in Miami, Borat 2, uh, they are not there. The Father, Nomadland, and The White Tiger could still win the BAFTA and gain some momentum uh, and that's coming after Borat 2 surprised everybody by winning the WGA, Michael. So mm-hmm. Nomadland is still considered the betting favorite in Vegas. But, uh, you know, as we talked about, as uh, David and I talked about, we're wondering if that's going to change. We're wondering if Borat 2 is much more of a formidable challenger at this stage. A lot remains to be seen. A lot of race left to run. Mm-hmm.